Well, good evening again, everyone, and welcome to New Hope Church. We are about to prepare our hearts to receive the tithes and offering. But before we do, I wanted to just share something that I was reading. Now, I normally go towards this scripture when I'm thinking about, you know, giving or offering. But then I started to see something different. So it comes out of 2 Corinthians 9. And here you have Paul addressing the church of Corinth. And so if you know a little bit about them, you know that they were zealous. They were followers. They were, they were doing, they were at this church and this community that was doing all these things, just like how we are the body of Christ. And here Paul addresses them, is sending a letter to them. And this is what he says in verses 3. It says, Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. See, Paul was boasting about the church. You know, we can get, we can get caught up in that. We can say, oh yeah, our church does this and we do this, but are we ready or are we really walking in obedience? And as I was praying, the Lord brought to my memory uh, an experience, I guess. Last year, I went and under, underwent surgery. And it actually, I thought it was like, oh, it's going to be in and out. But it ended up being a fairly invasive surgery. Now, my husband and I, we prayed and we were like, how are we going to pay for this medical bill? How are we going to, you know, God's going to make a way. And so in our obedience and in our faith, we just kept doing what God has asked us to do as his children. You know, and then a couple of months went by. And see, we have a friend, he and his wife. They decided that God spoke to them and said, hey, one day they came to our house and they gave us this envelope. And in the envelope was nearly enough to pay off the medical bill. And I was like, thank you, God. Because I knew it came from God, but it came out of their obedience. And although we are grateful to having friends that are generous, it was their heart that reflected God's heart. See, when we're generous, we begin to become reflective of who God is. And generosity is something that the church is called, not just as a commandment. So here you have Paul speaking to the church like, hey, we're boasting about you guys, but I'm just letting you guys know when I come, we're bringing people that are watching you. I don't want you guys to not be prepared. So as a church, when we give, we're not just giving out of a commandment. That's part of it. When we give, we're not just giving out of obedience. Yes, that's a part of it. But when we give, we give because we want to reflect who God is. And that is having the kind of heart he has, a generous heart. And that's why it goes on to say, but thus I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountiful will also reap bountiful. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's us, the church. May we shift our heart in such a way that we can align it to reflect God's heart. And that is to be generous in our obedience to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful 
that you are the prime example of what generosity looks like. We thank you that you have called us to not just be the body, but you've called us as your children. You've called us by name. You have set us apart for such a time as this that the church can go and advance and your kingdom so that your will be done. So Lord, align our hearts tonight so that when we give, we give cheerfully. Align our hearts so that we can reflect your heart, which is a heart that loves us so much that causes us to be generous just like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this evening we have a very special speaker. Her name is Kat Konanui. I know a lot of you guys know her. You see her up on here leading our worship. She is going to be bringing the word tonight. Not just any word, but you know we're going through the Bible. And this is one of my very favorite books. So we're going to be diving in tonight. And we're going to go deep as we go through Jeremiah. But before we do, let's watch this together. The book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn Israel about the severe consequences of breaking their covenant with God through their idolatry and injustice, and he even predicted that the empire of Babylon would come as God's servant to bring this judgment on Israel by destroying Jerusalem taking the people into exile. And sadly, his words became reality. Jeremiah lived through the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and witnessed the exile personally. Now, this book came into existence in a really interesting way. Chapter 36 tells us that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, God called him to collect all of his sermons and poems and essays and commit them to writing, which Jeremiah did by employing a scribe named Baruch, who wrote down and compiled all of this material into a scroll. Now, Baruch also gathered lots of stories about Jeremiah, and he linked all the pieces together. And so this is why the book reads like an anthology, a collection of collections. It's all been arranged to present present this prophet as a messenger of God's justice and grace. So the book begins with God calling Jeremiah to be a prophet, and he's given a dual vocation. He will be a prophet to Israel, but also to the nations. And his words will both uproot and tear down, but also plant and build up. In other words, he's going to accuse Israel and warn them of God's coming judgment, but he also has a message of hope for the future. Now, this opening perfectly summarizes the first large section, chapters 1 to 24. It's a collection of Jeremiah's writings from before the exile. And the core idea here is that Israel has broken the covenant with God and violated all the terms of the agreement they made that are written in the Torah, and in a number of ways. They've adopted the worship of all kinds of Canaanite gods, building idol shrines all over the land, and Jeremiah develops the metaphor of idolatry as adultery, and uses the language of prostitution, promiscuity, unfaithfulness to describe how Israel has given their allegiance to other gods. Jeremiah also repeatedly accuses Israel's leaders. The priests, the kings, the other prophets have all become corrupt. They've abandoned the Torah and the covenant, which has led to a tragic result, rampant social injustice. The most vulnerable people in Israelite communities, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, were all being taken advantage of in clear violation of the laws of the Torah, and Israel's leaders didn't even seem to care. So a classic place where all of these ideas come together is in chapter 7. It's called Jeremiah's Temple Sermon. 
the Israelites are coming to worship their God in the temple as if everything is just fine, but outside the temple they are worshiping other gods, and some were even adopting the horrifying Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. And so Jeremiah makes his very unpopular announcement. The God of Israel is coming in judgment. He's going to destroy his own temple and punish Israel by sending an enemy from the north. This is an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem, and as you read on, you discover he's talking about the great empire of Babylon. And so this all leads up to a transition in chapter 25. Israel hasn't turned back to their God, and so in the first year of Babylon's new king, Nebuchadnezzar, God tells Jeremiah to announce that the Babylonian armies are headed for Israel and all of its neighbors to conquer them and take them into exile for 70 years. He compares Babylon to a cup of wine filled to the brim with God's just anger at all of Israel's injustice and idolatry. And God will make Israel and the nations drink from this cup. Now this chapter is key to the book's design because everything that follows is going to focus on Babylon's coming attack. First on Israel in chapters 26 to 45 and then on the other nations in chapters 46 to 51. The section about Israel first contains stories about how Jeremiah begged Israel to turn back, how he warned them right up to the last minute, but the leaders of Israel kept rejecting him. This section concludes with a large collection of stories about how Jerusalem was under siege and eventually destroyed by Babylon, and about how Jeremiah was persecuted all through that time and eventually kidnapped and taken against his will to Egypt by a group of Israelite rebels. Now, right here in the middle, in between all of these dark stories of disaster and judgment, is a collection of Jeremiah's messages of hope for Israel's future. So he picks up on Moses' prediction that after Israel had broken the covenant and gone into exile, see Deuteronomy 30, God would not abandon his people. Rather, he would renew his covenant with them and transform their hearts. Jeremiah develops this promise, and he says that God is going to one day inscribe the laws of the Torah, not on tablets, but rather on the hearts of his own people. He's going to heal their rebellion so that they can truly one day love and follow him fully. And so one day, Israel will return back to the land, and the Messiah from the line of David is going to come, and that's when all nations will come to recognize Israel's God as the true God. So these chapters are showing that despite Israel's apostasy, God is not going to let Israel's sin get the final word. Rather, his own faithfulness will bring about the fulfillment of his promises no matter what. After this, we find the large collection of poems about how God is going to use Babylon to judge the nations around Israel. So Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Edom, Ammon, Damascus, Hazor. But then, surprisingly, the longest poems are saved for last, and they're about God's coming judgment on Babylon itself. So although God used this nation to execute his justice, God doesn't endorse their violence and idolatry, and so Babylon too will come under the standard of God's justice. And so Jeremiah denounces this nation's pride and injustice as well. Now, Babylon is larger than life in these poems, and it reminds us of the image of Babylon all the way back from Genesis chapter 11. Babylon has become the archetypal rebellious nation. In their glorification of wealth and war, God's going to give this nation over to its own destruction. The book concludes with a story taken from the end of the book of 2 Kings. It tells about Babylon's final attack on Jerusalem, how they destroyed the city walls and burned the temple and took the people into exile. The story shows how Jeremiah's warnings of judgment from chapters 1 through 24 were fulfilled. 
But then the chapter ends with a short story about the captive Israelite king Jehoiakim. He's heir to the line of David. And the king of Babylon releases him from prison and shows him favor and invites him to eat at the royal table for the rest of his life. And that's how the book ends. So it's a little glimmer of hope. And this recalls Jeremiah's promises of hope from chapters 30 to 33. God hasn't abandoned his people or the promise of a future coming king from David's line. And so while this book contains a huge amount of warning and judgment, the final words conclude with a note of hope for the future. And that's what the book of Jeremiah is all about. So basically, Jeremiah was a wake-up call from God to a nation that wasn't following God's plan of redemption and salvation and restoration. But Israel, they just weren't having it. With all the warnings that Jeremiah had, they just they weren't listening. So let's, let's take a look at Jeremiah, the prophet. Now, God calls Jeremiah to ministry and to be a prophet over a doomed nation— that would be overtaken by Babylon, as the video said. Now, imagine being Jeremiah, right? You're a prophet. God calls you to ministry. You're like, yes, Lord, I will, I will do whatever you say. I'm ready to go. And then you find out what the message is, doom and gloom. And it's like, oh, man. And Jeremiah, like, he had only a few friends. He didn't have a lot of friends. He had Baruch. Um, his scribe that would be documenting everything that would be going on. And you know that his messages didn't make him a really popular guy because who wants to hear about the doom and gloom? You know, for those of you, especially kids, if you watch the movie Trolls, remember that movie? He was like, Branch, the Bergens are coming! Ah! You know, and everybody would be like, oh, there he goes again. But that was Jeremiah. He was like, warning, warning, this is what's going on. You guys better stop. Repent, repent. And everybody was like, yeah, I mean... He would come in, and he would call out those false prophets. He would, he would talk about idolatry, and he would rebuke the leaders, leaders that were in charge of people that were leading them astray from God. He would, he would call them out. And so basically, Jeremiah was not a very popular guy. But Jeremiah had such compassion for the people. He had such a heart for the people. He would pray over the people no matter what. He would warn them and they'd just be like, yeah, okay, whatever. And he would still, he would weep for the people and he would forgive them. They would tie him up and throw him in prison. They would, they would reject him and ridicule him and he would cry for them and he would pray for them, for them to see the light. And so that's how big of a heart that he had. He had similar characteristics to like Jesus you know, where he would weep for the people, he'd pray for the people, and when they'd treat him harshly, he would say, please, Father, forgive them, forgive them, for they do not know. And so that's, that's basically what Jeremiah was like. And when you think of the book of Jeremiah, you don't think of all that. I didn't, because we think of Jeremiah 29, 11, where we say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and a future. We love that scripture. So many of us use this. I use this, especially when times are hard. When this whole COVID thing started, I went to that scripture. And I was like, yes, Lord, yes, you have plans for us not to harm us, but you have plans for a hope and a future. I know this. But we have forgotten um, 
a scripture after that. Or maybe we just didn't know about it. I didn't know about it until somebody read it to me, and it was Jeremiah 29, 12-13. It continues, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So what does this mean? You know, the Lord is always, always warning them. You know, it reminds me of when, when I'd be scolding my children or punishing them. I'd be like, this is for your own good. Trust me, I'm trying to help you. You know, and God, like a good father, he's trying to warn them. And he's like, trust me, if you guys continue down this road, it's going to be bad. You know, but people won't listen. So we're looking at the creator. The creator is telling us, you will call on me and come to me and I will listen to you. God, God, our creator of the heaven and the earth, of every living thing, of the ocean, of the skies, of everything, he will come and he will listen. That blows me away that we can call on him and he will listen. That tells me that he values us. He knows us, he loves us, he values us, and he, if he didn't care, then he wouldn't want us to be restored and brought back to him. He wouldn't want to rescue us from captivity, from whatever is keeping you down. And so there are three action steps that we need to take, and the first is to repent toward restoration. Scary word, yeah, repent. You've heard that, you've heard that, and it's not a kind word, it's not a cheerful word. Most, mostly you hear like, repent from your sins, you know. But it is that, exactly that, repent toward restoration. Now, repenting toward restoration says that we have value, that God loves us, that he has plans for a greater future for us. You know, if your life is going not so good right now, it can still be great. If your life is already good, your life can still be greater with the Lord. I think about, um, I like to cook. So I think about the difference between canned garlic, you know the one you buy in the bottle, the big Costco bottle that's already peeled? Real easy, yeah, you just throw it in. Or fresh garlic. That takes a little bit of work, right? You have to crush it, you have to peel it, your hands get all stinky, it takes more work. But the difference between that fresh one bulb of garlic, you need like maybe three or four of the canned ones to compare. And so to me, I think about that, of how life is good. This is good. It's easier, but it can also be better. And when we have the Lord with us, valuing us, our lives can be that much better. Now, repenting towards restoration, towards a greater life, is the difference between us just staying still and saying life is good or leaning towards action, but we need to act. So what is repentance? The, act, the action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. You ever told somebody you're sorry and didn't mean it? Way different, right? You guys have done it. I've done it myself. Okay, you don't have to admit it to each other if you're in a room with somebody that you already, you know, said sorry and you didn't mean it, but it's okay. Anyway, but then when you genuinely apologize and you say, you know what, I'm, and you feel it, I'm really sorry, and then you make it a note to remember to never say that or never do that again. That's repentance. That's the difference. So there's a difference between feeling sorry and repenting. Now, biblical repentance means to turn to God and away from evil. 
So do we need help with that? Yes, we do. I do. So that's why he says, you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you see me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. So when we say repent and accept, say we, we accepted Jesus. You're there already. You're okay. You're like, okay, I did that already, Cat. We're good. You know, I know that he died for my sins. What are we going to do with this great gift of salvation that we have been given? Well, once we receive Jesus into our hearts and we say, yes, you are my Lord, you're my Savior, and we now have the Holy Spirit living in us and guiding us in Galatians 2:20, it says I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the Holy Spirit is living in us there's a reason why we feel junk when we're arguing with somebody there's a reason why we feel better when there when there's atonement when we make amends there's a feeling when when oh you shouldn't say that you shouldn't do it you shouldn't say that you shouldn't you shouldn't act like this there's that that feeling that is the holy spirit living in us guiding us and there's times where i didn't want to say sorry when i'm arguing with my husband but then there's that feeling of you should say sorry that's not me that's got to be god because <laughs> it ain't my idea especially if i'm right you know, I don't want to, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. If you feel that tug, it's because God wants to restore relationships. He's all about relationships. He doesn't want us to have bickering or hostility towards each other, and he definitely doesn't want that with him. So he wants us to repent from our old ways and be restored to a relationship with him. So as you can see, it's not a one-time thing unless you're perfect, right? It's a continual thing. It's things that we have to keep coming back to, keep repenting, keep being restored, and he welcomes us. His spirit lives in us, and he empowers us with the Holy Spirit to be more Christ-like because on our own, I, I will not be Christ-like on my own. But with Jesus living in me, the Holy Spirit empowering me, I can be more like him, and I want to be. And that's the huge difference. Now, God has a plan for us, a future and a hope, but we need to do our part. He has the plan, but we need to follow it. I mean, you ever made plans for a trip or reservations for a nice dinner, and the people you made it with were late, or they canceled, or, or people didn't follow the itinerary that you planned out? It didn't work out. And that's just something small. Like, you, you had plans for your kids. Like, I remember I used to tell my kids, okay, you need to get good grades because you need to go to college and you need to do well in sports because if you do well in sports, then you get the scholarship. You go to college, you get a good job, then you can support yourself and you move out of my house and you're on your own. You're good. Yay, that's the plan. And then what happens when they don't follow that plan? They start goofing off. They don't get the good grades. All of a sudden, we turn into Jeremiah of doom and gloom. This is what's going on. You guys are, oh my gosh, you're not getting good grades. You're not, not going to get into college, and then you're going to not get a good job, and you're going to be staying with me for the rest of your life. It's like doom and gloom. This is what we're talking about because we have a plan. Well, God has a plan, but we need to repent, seek him, call upon him first and always, and our relationship with him will be restored, which brings us to our second action step which is be responsible for my growth with God. 
I may seek and call upon him first and always because it's not a one-time thing. We need to keep nurturing our relationship with God. You know, farms and farmers and gardeners, they know this. You guys know this, right? You can't just throw seeds into the ground and go, whew, I hope it grows, and I hope it grows a big tree and lots of fruit. No, it takes watering, it takes fertilizing, it takes right temperatures, the climate, and all that, unless it's weeds. Weeds is the only thing that I know of that will just grow like wildfire. Well, in Hawaii, weeds and guava trees, oh my goodness, if you can't grow anything, you can grow guava trees. Even if you don't want to, they will grow, so... That's the only things that can grow. But we need to um, nurture and grow and help our growth. We're responsible for that. So most of the time, you know, we can say, well, what does that look like? You know, there are things that can grow us toward a relationship with God or pull us away. You know, we can think about simple things, distractions, TV, music, social media, even our own friends. So what are we filling ourselves with? Are those things I just named bad no but what are we watching on tv are we seeking things or looking up things that will help us grow our relationship with god or are we just passing time you know what are we what are we listening to what are we filling our subconscious with how amazing god is or just a really cool beat you know what are what are we putting in our minds um what are we posting or looking up on social media are we posting things that encourage one another or inspire each other? Or are we tearing people down? What are we doing? How are we growing? Our friends, who are we inviting into our homes, around our spouses, around our children? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Friends that will encourage you when times get hard to seek the Lord or friends that will tell you to seek man or materialistic things? We're responsible for our growth. In Jeremiah 33.3, it says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. This isn't a request. This is a call to action. Call to me, and I will answer you. God is giving us a way to follow him. Seek me. Call to me. Because when we do, he will show us, and then he will grow us. You know, you want to see Miracles? You want to see mighty things? Anyone enjoy learning or looking up things that, that you've never seen before or never learned before? I mean, why do you think Google is so important to us? Why do you think that um, videos or YouTube is so interesting? Because we see things we've never seen before or we learn more. Are we seeking God to grow us? You know, we have, if you like watching videos or TV, we have something called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is a free website, and there's the link. It's free to you that you can use to grow. It's like, you, if you like Netflix or if you like watching videos, this is the place. And it has topics on catering to men, women, marriage, living single, um, finances. How to, it even has past conferences that we maybe didn't attend, but you wanted to learn more. Things that stress you out. Um, raising teenagers. Just kidding, teenagers. No, but seriously, you know, things that, that you need guidance on that can grow you, then look for that. Look for God in, in that, and it's a free, free service, so go check that out. Find mentors or people who live godly lives. Find inspirational music, worship music. You know, I learned so much from worship team members that I've had the honor to serve with. There's this woman called um, Auntie Alice Tavares, 
who at her funeral, funeral, her daughter said, you know, mom used to wake us up every morning just blasting worship music. And I was already on team at that time, but I never, I don't know why, I never thought of doing that for my family. You know, but that is the first thing they hear when they wake up. Auntie Virginia Suarez is another one I used to serve with, and she just was so humble and just loved serving the Lord, and she would just love on all of us. The new people we come in, and she would just love on us. And I learned so much from them. And until their last breath, both of them were worshiping the Lord. Till their last breath. And I learned so much of that from them that what you put into your ears will go into your soul and then will go out to those around you, especially those who are closest to you. So are we letting what people are doing on social media or posting on social media influence us more than what God says? Are we seeking other people and what they're eating more than what God has in store with us? I mean, what are we looking at? In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. First of all, what is God's will? There is a common theme throughout the Bible, and that's he wants all of his children to be saved and to spend eternity with him in heaven to have a great, his plan is for us to have a greater life, a greater eternity in him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitioners, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all people. Can we say all people together? All people. That's right. Not just white people, not just black people, not just yellow people, not just poor people or rich people. He wants all people. Now that sounds great. So what does that have to do with the rest of us? What does that have to do with you sitting, watching this message? It's like, I'm just here to hear the message. What are you calling me out for? I'm sorry if I have that tone. I'm a mom and I use it on my tone, on my tone on my kids. And I don't mean to, but I kind of do because again, it's a call to action. What does that have to do? Maybe you already repented, you're restored, and you are growing in your relationship with God. What else is there for you to do? Well, what is God's word without a call to action? God is about action. And we say God is love. And love is an action. In 1 John chapter 4, Verse 16, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So what is our call to action? What is your call to action? What is your call to love? And the third point is to be a Jeremiah. Be a Jeremiah. Men, women, young, old. 
as free children of God who are given the free gift of salvation, of restoration through Jesus. We are saved. We are called. You know, watching that video earlier, I couldn't help but wonder, doesn't that sound familiar? People rebelling against, against leaders, leaders not listening to God and pursuing their own selfish gain. People fighting and quarreling with each other. Followers arguing with other followers of Christ. Believers getting ridiculed and rejected for their beliefs. Families, friends arguing with each other. Just turn on the news. It's going on right now. It's going on right now. So what do we do? Well, this Saturday, this Saturday is Independence Day. And so let's think about our freedom. Do you think all those in the military, past and present, who are fighting and dying for our country, for our freedom, and gave and are still giving their lives just so that we can do whatever we want? Or was it and is it so that we can live in a country where we have rights and choices to live a greater life? Do you think that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could be free from sin and do whatever we want? Or because he loves all and he wants all of us to be in heaven and have a greater eternity? This is our call to action, our call to love, to be bold in Jesus' name, to be a Jeremiah. You may be asking, but, but am I called? Am I qualified? I'm glad you asked, because in Revelation 1, 5 through 6, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yes you are called. Yes, you are qualified. So we're going to do this. Who? You. I'm going to do this. Who? You. You are called for such a time as this. When? Right now. We're going to start right now because that is what action is about. Where? Start in your home, your workplace, your families. I mean, think, who would you like to see in heaven? When you think about it that way, then you know where to start. Why? Because we like you. No, that's a, sorry. I had to. That was a Mickey Mouse reference, and I'm showing my age. But why? Because God wants all of us to be in heaven. In Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So here's the big one. We're going to do what is good. How? You don't have to be exactly 
like Jeremiah, doom and gloom, because you're like, man, my family's going to freak out if I start talking to them about heaven and hell and all this stuff. Well, Jeremiah had compassion. Remember that. Jeremiah had compassion and passion for the people to repent and to know God. So in everything you do, you can preach the gospel of Jesus by loving on others, forgiving others, praying for people that you love, praying for people that you don't love. That's a tough one. But yes, praying for people you don't love. Be encouraging. How are we going to be a better world if we're only keeping to ourselves, keeping our salvation to ourselves, or just only loving on people that we love? It's so easy to do that. Your family may not be ready to hear full-on preaching, but the seeds, plant the seeds. It's not our job to save people. That's God's job. But we can help. We can help in just the way that we live. In Titus chapter 2, 7 through 8, it says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Sounds impossible, yeah? But they wrote it because they want us to live it. They don't want us to just go, wow, that was kind of cool, and do nothing with us, with it. Because God is love. Love is an action, so God is about action. Like I said, little things that we can do. You know, in a car with people, or you see an ambulance go by, pray for whoever is in that ambulance. Be the example. Be different. Even in, I talk about social media, how, you know, it can be used to encourage. Well, don't be discouraged if you post something really, like you, you got this Bible scripture and you're like all pumped up. Like tonight, you're watching this, you're like, oh my gosh, Jeremiah 29, 11, yes, I am so gonna post that because I know people that need to hear it and then two people like it. It happens, it's okay. Because I remember one day I posted Jeremiah 29, 11 and I got 36 reactions, whether it was likes or whatever. I got 36 reactions and seven comments. Of course, it was all church people, all my friends. A week later, I'm not lying, a week later, I posted a picture of Simon. I got 104 reactions or laughs and 17 comments. Just because people don't like your post doesn't mean they didn't see your post. So post encouraging, inspiring words of Jesus. Even if you don't say, Jesus loves you. Even if you don't say the words, repent towards restoration. Even if you don't say, Holy Spirit, be with my friends. Because a lot of your friends will be like, what is going on with Kat? Is she like losing it or whatever? They said that. They've said those things too. But be bold with the Holy Spirit to do what is good because we are called to do good. We are called to action. And like I said, just because they don't comment on it didn't mean that they didn't read it. And that is, that is half the battle right there. That is what we can do. 
When all is said and done, it's our actions that speak volumes. So let us, in all that we do, speak Jesus. Earlier we sang that song, My Testimony. And that's what people will be drawn to. More than preaching, actually, it's how you're living your life. Why are you so different? Why are you still cheerful? Why are you so strong when things are going bad? How can you still love these people or forgive others or forgive me? Your life is a living testimony to God and what he does and how he loves us. So what is our next action step? What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? A sign? A miracle? How's this for a sign? During worship or right now, you feel that pull towards God. You feel that pull on your heart and you're not sure what it is, but it's something. You're feeling it. Almost like when somebody walks up behind you and you feel it, it's that feeling, that presence. That is the Holy Spirit. How's this for a miracle? You are taking time out of your free time to watch this message right now. Or somebody told you about it and you still took the time to watch this. And this is something that you normally wouldn't watch. Or this is something you normally wouldn't do. That is a miracle. That is a miracle because you are choosing God. You're choosing to grow. You're choosing Him. You're choosing a relationship with our Father. And you're choosing to say no to evil and run towards, towards God. This is not a mistake. You watching this right now, this is not a mistake. You might be wondering, me, a Jeremiah, my friends and family won't believe it. Well, I'm here. And yes, my friends and family all thought that I was losing my mind when I said I was going to leave my career that I was chasing for 25 years to work at the church. They thought, you? Yes. And that's why it's important for us to live our testimony. More than what we say, because we can say whatever we want, but we need to live our testimony. You investing in this time is an act of action. So you are, you are moving now there's a tab that you can push if you need prayer. That is another action step. Because that's huge. If you need help. If you're not sure what to do next, you can chat online. We have pastors and New Hope Church staff members that are standing by and they will pray with you. You can reach out. You know what, we're going to do this. I wasn't going to do this, but I, I, I'm feeling that maybe somebody is there. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know technology. I knew enough to log on, but I don't, don't know what to do. Okay, let's do this together. You ready? Let's do this together. If you want Jesus in your heart and you're saying, I am ready to turn away from this old life and I want a new life. In Jesus' name, I want to be free from sin and I want to have a greater life, the, the life that God has planned for me. I want to know what that life is. I want to be in that life. I want to feel God's love. Let's do this. If you've been away from God and you're like, oh, I, I should know better. I, I used to come to church and I don't know. I've been kind of, I haven't been coming around. 
It doesn't matter. You're here right now. It's not a mistake. So let's do this together. You ready? You ready? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Just repeat these words in your heart or out loud. Thank you for Jesus. I believe that you died for me and you rose from the dead. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Guide me. Live in me. And help me now to live for you a new and improved life that you have planned for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have made that action step to receive Jesus, let somebody know. You can type it in chat, text somebody, email somebody. Let them know. Our, our people are standing by and they can guide you. On, okay, now what? What do I do now? They can, they can help you with that, okay? So just don't be discouraged. Be encouraged by the grace of God. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit and be emboldened by Jesus' name. Amen, right? Amen. So let's go and be Jeremiah's. So let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, so much for this time together, God. We thank you for your words of encouragement. We thank you for the plans that you have for us, Lord. We thank you for your compassion for us, Lord. We thank you for, for the boldness that you're going to give us, Lord, in the Holy Spirit to empower us to say no to sin and yes to you. To say bye, goodbye to our past lives and hello to a new plan. The plan that you have for us that is good, a future and a hope to prosper us and that will not hurt us, Lord. And Lord, if there's somebody out there that is picturing somebody like, I need to make sure, I wish so-and-so was watching this. May we be bold and say, you need to watch this and share it with them take it to them. Tell them to watch it. May we be Jeremiah's, Lord, and have your, your enthusiasm and your compassion for your people. And may we act on it, Lord. May we not sit by and wait for other people to do it, Lord. You are calling us, each and every one of us, so let us move. In Jesus' name, and we all say, amen. Amen. Isn't God so good? I'm so glad that you guys are here and so glad that you were able to share this time in investing in your relationship with the Lord and let your life be a living testimony to how good God is. So let us.